0: Let's do this. I, I heard a, a really smart person say this a long time ago, dude. I'm really excited about the prayer thing that's going on back there, and I know it's um, some of you guys are like, hey, what do we do? We get together, hold hands. Um, somebody really smart once said that you can tell how popular a church is by Sunday morning. Um, you can tell how popular Jesus is by Bible study, and then you can tell how popular God is to you by prayer meetings. Um, and if you research any any major movement in history, um, any revival, anything huge that has happened in this world. That we're just small groups of people have just gone and done crazy things. It's always started with small groups of people gathering together and praying for God to show up and do something. So I, I don't know what you're doing, but I guarantee you, it's not too important to show up and spend some time praying for. Um, let's do this. I, I don't know what your weeks were like, um, or what. I know it's just Tuesday, and it's hard to, to think, man. You're weak already. Um, if if we're gonna do this, now, I was listening to Greg last week talk about um, just through Acts nine and Acts ten a little bit. Acts eleven is is so it's it's challenging um, it, it's a lot of of action behind, not just knowledge so I, I thought tonight to to do something we, we should probably start off in prayer, um, which I know we've already prayed twice now um, I want to pray again, um, but i want I want to give us a chance to just whatever's out there is going to be out there when we finish and I, I don't know about you, but i'm I'm struggling getting ready cause I'm thinking tomorrow morning, man, I've got this going on. I've got this event. I've got this happening. And, and all of that's going to be out there. Um, and if we leave here just with more information then we've wasted our time. Um, but if we leave here changed and if we leave here applying that, then we might just make a difference in the Valley. So let's, let's just take a second where you're at. Um, and just between you and God and then I'll, I'll close it out and then we'll, we'll get, get into acts 11. Just, just where you're at. Just take a second. Um, Let's spend some time just getting ready, letting go of whatever, um, and just, just kind of just asking God, hey, whatever's in Acts 11 for me today, help me be able to, to figure out how to apply that. Take a second and go, and then I'll pray for us. Jesus thanks for tonight um, yeah, thanks for being a God of peace that a God that we can come filthy, dirty, broken, messed up, um, and we can sit before you and be redeemed and and your grace um, just be showered upon us um, so jesus t- tonight um, God, would you search our hearts? God, would would you start with me? Search my heart and my mind. And God, if there's anything in me that that keeps me unworthy of even saying your name out loud, God, would you just remove that and replace it with you? God, all the things that's waiting on us when we leave this place tonight, um, the world, jobs, families, everything, um, God, would you just help us to, to maybe not focus on that for the next few minutes and to focus on your word? And to allow it, God, to do what you've, you've said it would do, which would, would be to come in and, and, and cut and clean and, and, God, embed in our lives, and it would become living and breathing and active. And, Jesus, I pray that when we leave this place that we would be a mirror reflection of who you are. And, God, that the world around us would, would see you and not us. So, God, for, for tonight, would you, um, would you speak loudly and clearly And allow your words to become imprinted in our hearts and in our minds so that, God, we can step out of this place and represent you in your beautiful and holy name. Amen. Amen. Got to start with this. If you were here Sunday and you're a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry. Um, I've already had a couple people come up to me and they're a little offended. Um, I'm from Texas, so I feel like I have freedom to make fun of the Cowboys. So if I offended you, I apologize. Um, So just get that clean so we can start fresh. Um, but just know that there's more jokes coming because I can't help that. Um, so it's not intentional. It's not against you personally. It's just from living for 30 plus years in Texas um, and not like in the Cowboys. Um, where we're at in Scripture, and, and Greg mentioned this last week, and it's kind of cool, um, You're at a a part in this book where it's teaching a ton of knowledge. There's a a lot of of just information that's flowing out. And and one of the dangers in this, and Greg kind of went over this, I I, I loved kind of the little game type thing that he did where he he had you kind of just answer back, um, where is this at in the Bible? Where would you find this? Uh, Man, that was awesome. Um, It's easy to know something, but it's sometimes hard to do it. Um, With my kids, I call this hearing versus listening. My kids hear me without any doubt. They're great hearers. They are horrible listeners. Um, and the difference is they hear me tell them to take out the trash. I still take the trash out 90% of the time in my home because they don't listen. Because listening involves action. Hearing is just noise. Um, and, and my fear in this is, as we dive through this is that we hear a lot, but we don't listen. So tonight as we're doing this, I, I wanna challenge you to not listen to me, to not hear this but to really listen for God to impress something on you that needs to change. Because if if we don't change, then there's really no point in doing this. We have to figure out what it is in our life that isn't reflective of who God is, and we've got to start making those changes. So don't just hear tonight. Listen, and let's put this into action. Um, Just, again, to set up chapter 11, so you know in, in Jerusalem right now, there are two different types, two different groups of Jews, basically, There's one group of Jews that believe that Gentiles should not hear God's word. They should not hear about God's grace. So you have a Jewish culture who believe that they're God's chosen people, um, and and that's what they've been taught their entire life, and they believe that that good news is just for them, and the Gentiles should not, or Gentiles are people who aren't Jewish, basically. Um, They should not hear God's word. You have another group of people, another Jewish um, group of people, they believe that Gentiles should hear God's word but only if the Gentiles are willing to do everything that is Jewish in culture and nature and, and, and religion, basically. So basically, that means that the Gentiles can hear about God's grace, but only if they're willing to become basically Jewish. So you have one half of the, the room is like deathly against man. No way do they deserve God's grace. No way should they hear about God's love. They d- definitely should hear about God's love, but only if they're willing to be like us. So but before you start thinking about that for just a second, let, let me remind us of who we are. Um, we fit in one of those two categories, whether we want to admit it or not. Th- think for just a second, and, and please don't answer this one out loud. Are, are th- is there anything in your, in your mind, a group of people um, that should definitely not get to hear about God's grace? Th- think through that. And before you answer quickly and, and, and real religious and say, well, no, of course not. Everybody deserves to hear about God's love. Is there anybody in the world today that does not deserve to hear about God's grace? What about terrorists? Do they really deserve to hear about God's love and grace? What about serial rapists, ax murderers, drug dealers, pimps abusing all sorts of different people in the sex trade? Do they really deserve to hear about God's grace and God's love and God's mercy? About people of different color, different nationality, different size, different ethnicity, different monetary status. You see, we do the same thing. We just don't call it Jews and Gentiles anymore. Um, it's hard sometimes when when God's word and we're starting deep. So man, take a breath. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to understand all that this book is telling us. Because a lot of times we just hear it, we don't really listen. Um, Pick it up in in chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to try to walk through all 30 verses um, and still be friends. So verse 1. The apostle and his brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So you already see it happening, right? So if you remember back from chapter 10, Peter went to a house of Cornelius and the entire house accepted Christ. Cornelius um, was a Gentile. He was a centurion. Um, Peter had, and it's going to explain kind of what happened in just a minute, but Peter and some friends went to this house, non-Jewish residents sat down, ate a meal with them, told them about Jesus, about love, about forgiveness, and and God's presence entered into the house. And these guys just went nuts. This, This entire house, the family, Received God's grace and love for the first time, and you would think when Peter comes back home and the church hears about that, right? You would think the church would be like, "Peter, pa, high five, dude, that's awesome, man! Tell us how'd it go." But he walks in the the church and people are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! You went where? You did talk to who? <laughs> Hold up, back the truck up. Wait a second, young fella. Um, who did you just go and talk to?" And there, because uh, did you catch it? Verse four, or verse, verse three, it says um, that, that he went into the house of uncircumcised, But verse two says that the circumcised believers criticized him. That the, the believers in the church, the Jewish believers in the church, got in a, a bit of a tiff that Peter had gone out and talked to some people um, that didn't necessarily deserve God's grace. Have you ever ever witnessed, shared your faith with somebody and you're in that middle of this, just this beautiful conversation of telling somebody about God's love and somebody looks at you like, I thought you believed in Jesus. They give you that look like, why on earth are you talking to them? Most of the time it's when you guys are talking to me, people are looking at you like, why are you talking to him? Um, We we have that moment where we're talking to somebody and God has put it on our heart. Man, this person desperately needs Jesus. Maybe it's a homeless person. Maybe it's... um, somebody that, that believes differently than we do. Um, I, in Texas, me and some of my friends had a, a game and not really a game, but we had a, a strategy um, for ministry and a strategy for evangelism. Um, there was a group of people who would come by periodically and knock on our doors and want to talk about Jesus. Dude, it was awesome. I would talk to him all day long. My goal was to get them to come back seven times because I was, I don't know why seven, but I was prayerful that if they could come back seven times, I I would be able to show them God's love. Um, I never got them back seven times because their elders would keep them from coming back. Mormons would come back consistently by our house, wanting to know about Jesus. And what a great way for you to, you got people knocking on your door asking you about Jesus. And how many times have we been like, are you serious, it's dinner time? No, honey, don't answer the door. Shh, kids, be quiet. Nobody move. (laughs) You got people knocking on the door wanting to know about Jesus. They're looking at Peter and they're like, wait a second, you went where and talked to who? Are you serious? And, and now the, the next few verses of this is a great demonstration of how we should as a church and as a body of believers kind of act. Cause they go to Peter and they ask him, they're like, hey, wait a second, tell me, what, what were you doing? Um, and it's easy for us to be accusatory and and a lot of times for us to be judgmental and go into somebody and say, wait a second, dude, are you serious? You you did this and automatically build up what they did and why they did it and have our own agenda behind it. And and that's not what the church does. They they get, they get a little kind of questioning on it. Verse four, Peter starts to explain. He says, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. And, And look at how cool this is. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat." How many of you guys are vegetarians, vegans, anything like that, anybody? This is why I believe that scripture says that you should eat meat. I don't know if you see it. It's telling Peter, "Do get up, arise, kill, and eat. Um, hunters, unite. This is, this is PETA right here. That, uh, not really. Um, it's, it's saying animals. If you go back to Leviticus 11, these are all animals that have been registered as unclean that the Jewish culture shouldn't touch. These are all animals like pigs, like um, birds of, of prey. These, these are all animals that, that Peter has grown up his entire life never touching. And, and in his dream this thing comes down and he sees all of them. how many of you, and not a show of hands, just, just a thought for just a second. How many of you have had a, a dream of God telling you maybe to go out and to tell somebody about him, this vision of, of man, let's go out and let's share God's word to, to this group of people or to, let's share God's word to, to this place in my house, to this part of my block. Um, any of you you're sitting there, maybe you're having your time with God, you're praying, you're talking with friends and you just get impressed on your head. This thought of, I bet nobody has told these guys about Jesus. Early on in ministry for me, that was um, skateboarders. Uh, I, I loved the skate community. And I remember like my very early in churches, I, I started building skate ramps, like just different ramps and throw them out in front of the parking lot. And it was amazing how many people in church hated having skateboarders on church. They hated the way they looked, they, they dressed differently. Usually they talked differently. Um, and it was, it was hard for them to understand how important it was to tell these kids about Jesus but it was impressed on my heart, man. This was a group of kids, and I don't know if you've ever had any interaction with them. They could care less what you think. That's perfect. (laughs) That's the best disciple makers in the world. Get these guys hooked on Jesus, send them out in the world, and they don't care if you reject them or not because they're still gonna tell you. They're probably gonna break something in the process um, and and probably like skate over your roses, but they're definitely gonna leave with, you're gonna know who Jesus is. Peter, he has this dream this blanket comes down and it's filled with animals that up until this point, he, he is never touched, completely unclean. Verse eight is powerful. It says, I replied, verse seven says, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. This, this verse for me has been the verse that's caused me like some, some grief. Um, not because it's hard to understand, but... This verse, and I don't know what it does for you, but it, it shines kind of a light on me. There's, there's lots of things that I do that I feel really good about. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're really good things. They're not bad things. Um, but sometimes it's hard for us to put all of this book into action. Now, if we were to do something, and if Greg would here, he, he could do it because he's better at this than I am. If we were to to do some type of test or something where we said, hey, how many of us believe that from cover to cover, this book is, is God's word. Cover to cover, this is truth. Cover to cover, without a flaw, this is holy, this is God breathed, this is God inspired from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. This book is God's gift to us. Many of us, probably hopefully all of us would say definitely that's me. But there's parts of this book that we don't necessarily put into action. There's parts of this book that we read, and if we really believed that, we would be doing them. Something real convicting that hit me as I was doing this is that we only believe the parts of the Bible that we do. The rest we're just listening to. We're just hearing noise, we're not really putting it into action. So Peter's sitting there, and he, he, he makes this statement in verse eight. Surely not, man. Nothing impure or unclean I've ever entered in my mouth. This is Peter basically saying, dude, I've been a, I've been a great Jewish young man. I've done everything that the law has commanded me to do. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I don't know if you do this um, when, when you feel God impressing something on you. You, you start to rational, like, rationalize stuff out. Maybe I should pray about it, spend more time in prayer. God, you want me to go and tell who? about Jesus, maybe I need to spend some time, man, in his word to make sure this is really God's voice. Have you noticed that when we act on those moments that you see differences, that you see huge changes in, in the world around you? Give me something real quick, guys, And we've got some mic runners around. What, what are some things, and give, give us some examples, and this isn't, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm holier than everybody else. This is just some, some active, this is this, this book becoming alive in us. Give, give us some things. What are some things that you, you felt impressed on God to do? You've, you've done it um, and just seen something really cool come from it. Awesome. Here we go. While we're walking back there, we were driving my family back. We took a really quick small vacation, and we saw a guy standing on the corner with a sign um, and I had a, like a, three or four bottles of water on the floorboard because we were driving um, right around Yuma, and I had this moment where I thought, man, this dude, it's hot. This guy probably needs some water. Didn't think anything of it. Rolled down the window, handed it to him. The dude smiled real big, and for the next two hours, my kids were asking me, Dad, why'd you give that guy water? And it was this cool teaching moment where I got to talk to my kids about this is what Jesus does, um, and it was, it was simple. It wasn't anything great, honestly. I mean, a bottle of water is what, 35 cents? but it was a cool teaching moment. What, tell, tell me, man, what are some of the things God felt, like you felt impressed you, you've done and now you've seen God's presence?
1: Yeah, well, um, I was in a situation, this was actually just uh, probably about three weeks ago now, and I was in a situation where I really needed God to do something, and uh, he had been telling me for like probably about a month to fast, and you know, like not, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with fasting, but there's something called like a Daniel fast, And that's basically where you just do like no sweets or carbs, just like vegetables and fruits. Um, And so most people, when they fast, they do that. Um, And my church back home in Florida, we we do a 21-day fast at the beginning of every year. So I'm kind of familiar with the whole thing of fasting. But you know, I was fighting God on it because I was like, oh man, you know, like because He didn't tell me fast this long. He's like, fast until I do something. So then you're looking at you know, okay. I don't know how long that's going to be. And I, for like three weeks, I was doing like a partial fast or I would do like one meal in the evening after the sun went down, you know, or I would, you know, I was staying away from sweets, but then it come down to it and I needed him to move and he still hadn't done anything. And he just brought that back to my mind, you know, like fast. So sure enough, I'm like, okay, I'm to do it, you know, full fast, nothing but water. And like on the third day, he showed me exactly what I needed to do, exactly where I needed to go. And it just really drove home to me that, you know, When God's leading you to do something, and it might seem unfair, or it might seem like you really, really don't want to do it, or that's the last thing you want to do, in that moment, you just need to remember that God is a good God, God is a gracious God, because I could still be fasting right now. You know, he could still be making me fast, but like, no, not yet, you know, not quite ready yet. It was three days, and he's like, this is what you need to do. And ever since that time, like, without me going into great detail, literally, the heavens have just opened up and it's one blessing after another. Everything I needed, you know, he's done. So, you know, I, th- I think that's, you know, like I said, just, you know, in those moments where it seems really unfair, or like the last thing we want to do, just remember he knows what he's doing and he's, he's a good God, so.
0: Awesome, thank you. Anybody else? Does anybody, would, would you be bold enough in here to say, hey, I struggle hearing what God's telling me to do. You're asking these questions, dude, and does that mean like God spoke to you on a TV? Like you're watching Seinfeld and instead of George and Kramer, Jesus came on and he was like, hey, fast. Does it, would anybody say like, hey, I struggle hearing God's voice? Okay, yeah.
2: Hey, Tim. Last time you were here speaking a few weeks ago, I spoke to you afterwards and you had talked about getting on our knees. And I told you that God had just kept pressing upon me to do that. And I was <laughs> I was getting on my knees. And my brother died four, like four days later. And so many things happened. And the beauty of it is we've had two guest speakers since then or so, and they've talked about getting on the knees before the Lord. Now I know why. You can hear God so well. So it's just something very humbling where he can just speak to you clearly and I think that there's a great power in just being able to make yourself just kind of vulnerable to God to work through you.
0: Mm, Definitely, thank you. I I wanna do, pretend with me for just a second. This is something I've been working on, Um, so if we do this and I get get to do this message sometime soon, pretend like it's new to you. Close your eyes real quick. Um, Nothing weird, I promise, we're not gonna do anything. Just between between you and God, in in just a moment of silence, is there anybody that's in your circle of influence, peers, family members, work, neighbors, anybody that needs to hear about the love of Jesus and about God's grace and God's forgiveness? Take just a second. Anybody in your realm of influence that should hear about God's grace and that needs to hear desperately about his love. All right, look at me for a second. How many of you would say, Hey, I I had, I thought of somebody when when you said that I I started thinking, anybody would say, Hey, I I thought of somebody. Okay. No, hold them up high for just a second. So I want you to see this look around real quick and this isn't to to single somebody out. You, You understand you just heard God's voice and let this sink for a second because this is huge because we fight this and we make it so difficult. Why on earth would Satan or anybody else impress upon you somebody who needs to hear about God's grace and forgiveness? Who else would do something like that? You just listened. You didn't listen yet, but you just heard God's voice. Now, you're listeners of that when you invite him to church Sunday morning or when you go home from here and you're like, hey, let's go grab some coffee, and you start that conversation. But you, you just, in that, in that two-second moment, you just heard God's voice. That's how easy it is. It's simple to hear God's voice. It's hard to listen to God's voice sometimes. Peter heard it and he went. Um, look in verse nine. It says, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. So Peter, remember he's having his dream, Sheet comes down that says, hey, it's okay for you to, to eat this stuff. Peter's like, no, not me. I don't do it. Verse 9, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Keep your hand right here for just a second and, and flip to the left, just a little bit to the book of Matthew. This is, and again, this is, this is totally free because it's just kind of my opinion, but I, I think this is one of the biggest problems we have in churches in America today is we've forgotten why we exist Church has become this beautiful country club for the healthy instead of a hospital for the sick. And we've forgotten why we have these seats. We've forgotten why right now why we're trying to build bigger buildings to to get more people in this room. We've forgotten why we try to to do things to attract people who would never step foot in church. Um, Matthew 9, and, and this is this is a crazy powerful verse, verse 12 and 13 says this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. We can never forget the purpose of this building. This building is not built. It's not established for your comfort and for your ease and for you. This building is built for people who are broken, who need hope and maybe that is you, this place is designed, it's established, we have parking spots that hopefully is going to get easier so your friends will get here and not have an excuse. This, the design of this building is so that people will hear about God's grace and God's love. This place cannot become a place where it's, it's just about us gaining and, and growing and feeling comfortable and we can't get mad at Lynn when he preaches messages that kind of kick us in the face a little bit. I don't, I don't remember ever calling the doctor because I felt good, <laughs> right? You don't go to the doctor and think, hey, thanks, man, I appreciate you telling me I have pneumonia, that's so awesome. No, you go to the doctor because you're hacking up a lung and you can't breathe and you want him to tell you what's wrong and for him to look at you and go, nah, dude, it's okay, it's just allergies. Knowing that there's this disease inside of you that's consuming you, he would go out of practice really quickly. This, this place should be a hospital for the sick. And it has to be, and everybody deserves to hear God's grace. Go, go back to Acts. So, voice comes down again. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Um, and, and let that sink for just a second, too. So a minute ago, I asked the question, hey, is there anybody that doesn't deserve God's grace? What about this person? What about that person? Um, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That should change how we treat everybody. I don't know what that does for you. Verse ten, Peter said, "This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again." And he said, "Right after three men who had been there, or who had been sent to me from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me um, to have no hesitation, but to um, have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered into this man's home." He told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, um, who is called Peter. Um, He will bring you a message through which you and your your household will be saved. You you understand, we have something that the rest of the world desperately wants, even if they don't know it yet. We, We have the answer to every form of pain, depression, depravity, everything in the name of Jesus. We have the healing of everything that the world, everything that the world is attacking. We have the answer to in this room right now. This guy Cornelius, he, he knew it. He knew that he needed something, didn't know what it was, and nobody was going to tell him. How sad would it be for people on our blocks to not know about Jesus because nobody went and told him? How sad would it be for our coworkers to never experience God's grace because nobody went and told him. How sad would it be for our family to never hear about Jesus' love and his forgiveness because nobody went and told him. And Peter had a choice to make here, just like we do, just just like you do, and I kinda set you up for it, so I'm really not sorry, but I, I did set you up for it, so I'll at least acknowledge that. Um, you have a choice right now from that 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 person that you just kind of thought up just a second ago that God placed on your heart. You have a choice to tell them about God's love or just to kind of go about your business and think, hey, that was kind of tricky. I wish I hadn't raised my hand now. Or you can, you can share Jesus to them. Peter could have come up with tons of excuses. God's telling him to do this. These guys come to his door, and Peter could have said all sorts of stuff like, Dude, do you not understand? Jews do not go to Gentiles. So sorry, man. Um, Maybe there'll be a PBS special in like six weeks and you can watch it on TV, but up until then, nothing for you. Sorry. Maybe Peter, I mean, he could have looked at this and said, dude, really? That's a long walk. I'm tired. (laughs) I've been working hard all week long. Now you want me to walk all the way down there too? Are you serious? No, maybe, you know what? We're vacationing in like a month. Maybe we can swing by around then and stop and say hi. He could have come up with all sorts of, all sorts of different, different excuses. But verse 15, it shows that Peter went. It says, verse 15 says, As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. And this is exciting. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the, the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus... Who was I to think that I could oppose God? Remember, th- this, is, this is an exercise I've started doing more, and I, you've probably heard me do it 100 times. Hopefully you have, because you're going to hear it 100 more, hopefully. Remember the moment you gave your life to Jesus? Remember? Remember that moment that you felt so desperate? For some of you, you felt so lost. You felt like there's no way that God would love me. There's no way that God would would do anything with a messed up, screwed up, jacked up person like me. I could see him loving you, but there's there's no way he could love me. And you had that moment, maybe it was here, maybe it was at home, maybe it was with a friend, wherever it was. But you had that moment where you sat before God and you said something along the lines of, God, if you're real, please come in and do something with me because I'm a mess. Do you remember that moment of freedom? as you felt all of that weight just lift off your shoulders. And some of you, it may be a little bit different because you may have grown up in church. You may have been around you know, church people and church things your whole life. So that moment for you may be a little bit different. But remember, if, if that's you, remember that moment that you understood who Jesus was and the weight of religion was lifted off your shoulders because the spirit of relationship was starting to grow inside of who you are. And that freedom that you felt because you were no longer restricted by religion, but you were freed by freedom because God's presence had come upon you. That's what, I, that's what I'm reading here. That's what Peter is saying. He's sitting there telling these guys about God's grace and that, that presence of God, the Holy Spirit, that's alive, that's active, that's real, that's not some freaky little ghost that's sitting in the corner that we don't understand, but that, that moves. God's presence poured into this house. If you remember, which I know it's been a couple weeks, but if you remember back in early in Acts, this is the same presence that pours over the disciples, that pours over the apostles before they go out and the church is even formed. It pours into this guy's house. This non-Jewish, non-chosen centurion's home. And and I love what it says, man. Um, It says that his entire house came to know Jesus. Um, and, and Peter, I, I love what he says in this. He looks at his friends and he's like, who am I that I, you think I could oppose God? <laughs> who am I that, that you think that I, I'm gonna stand up to God and say, no, nah, they're too dirty. No, nah, they're, they're too filthy. God surely you don't want me to talk to that person. If we would adopt that attitude, this place would be different. It's messy, so be ready but it's, it makes changes that, that change the world. When the church heard this, so this is Peter just explaining to the church kind of what happened. Verse 18, when, when the church hears this, it says, um, when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. The, the church rejoices about what's happening um, This is one of the things that I think we celebrate really well here is that people, man, Sunday, if you were here and we were talking through, man, we've we've had, this this is so cool. We've had over, and I don't know an exact number, I just, I know it's over a hundred and probably a little bit over 200 people in the last few months except Jesus. This Christmas Eve service, that's huge. This Christmas Eve service that we had. Is, which we're still trying to get numbers and everything down on it, but it looks like that was the largest at one time group of people that gave their life that said yes to Jesus was during that, that weekend or during those, those two services. We celebrate that. that. That's huge. We come together as a church because people walked in these doors that, that didn't have a, a hope and they left this place forgiven and filled with God's grace and his love and his mercy. Why would we stop doing that and wait till Easter to invite somebody else? And, and the thing that Satan does in this, and I'm sure he did it to Peter too, that the thing that he does to us in this, and it's really simple is, I, I'm not, Tim, what, what if they, so I get it, you just, you tricked me, you did this really kind of rude thing where you asked me to think about somebody that doesn't know Jesus, and then you made me raise my hand, um, and now you're convicting me that I should go and talk to him. That's not me, that's God, just for the record. Um, what if they ask me something that I don't know how to answer? That's a great question. Don't answer them. Tell them about Jesus. But no, but you don't understand. What if they ask me some deep theological question I don't have the answer to? Don't answer them. Tell them, I, you know what, I don't have a clue. All I know is I was messed up and God forgave me and I felt it and I felt that freedom. <laughs> You don't have to have theology perfect. Uh, the only theology you need perfect, and let me clarify that, is that God is the only one that's saving you, that Jesus did all the work that you did absolutely nothing, and that God's grace forgave you. That's your story, and who better to tell that than you? And Peter does a great job of showing that. He just, he goes and he tells these guys about Jesus, and, and this entire family comes to know Christ. Then, then some things get a little bit weird. Um, Verse 19, this, some, some things start to happen here. It says, now those who had been scattered um, by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as um, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the messages only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Kyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak um, to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. You see, this great thing happened, this, this beautiful revival started to take place in the church, and there's still people in the church that don't get it. We've had over 200 plus people accept Christ over the last couple months and there's still people in our church unfortunately that don't get it that we should be inviting people into this place to hear about Jesus, that we should be telling people about God's love. There's still people that are just going to the, to the Jews and not the Greeks. There's still that measuring rod that, that doesn't make any sense. And, and it's, it's right after um, Stephen, remember if you go back earlier, when, when Stephen is persecuted and ultimately killed, the, the first martyr that takes place, everybody takes off. And imagine for just a second, if, if this is you, you're sitting, you see this great young man, Stephen, you're, you're crazy hearing these amazing things about Jesus. People bust in and kill the guy that's speaking. Most of us would take off. And that's what happens. So Stephen gets, gets persecuted, he gets killed, um, and, and these guys flee and they start to run, um, and they go to different places. Antioch, which is mentioned here towards the end, the, the third largest place in Rome at the time. And if, if you have a map, if you're using a, a Bible and not your phone, flip to the back just a second um, and get to, a, get to a, um, a map that looks something like where you can see, where would it go? Um, where you can see the Gulf um, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way up to where it kind of curls around. Yep, we're even gonna work on this one. Or if you've got just kind of a map like this, um, that'll show you, there you go. Something that looks like this, where you can see it around. See, if this was Greg, he would have some cool picture to go on the screen. Um, I tried that and my iPad only plays Clash of Clans. Um, Antioch is up towards the top of this little, kind of where where it crests around up in here. Um, Antioch was an incredible, incredible, important, important city. Huge city that, like I said, the third, third largest in Rome at the time. Um, it, it was a great spot where you were sending out. Um, it, it was a great spot to, to control travel, to control commerce. Um, it was an incredible spot to control what was going into the rest of the world. Antioch, um, which we'll, you'll see, well, let's, let's read and I'll explain. Um, verse verse 30, uh, 20, uh, 21, where are we at, verse 21. So verse 20 said that some went to Jews, some went to Greeks. Verse 21 says the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas um, to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And I love this. He, it says he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Antioch at the time was super accepting of what was coming in. Um, For those of you who are old enough to remember Woodstock, not the bird from Peanuts, but like the event, Antioch was Woodstock without the music. It was the most crazy party, It, it was everything. Antioch wasn't known for teaching wisdom, it was known for like satire, it was known for sarcasm, and it was known for free love, party in the streets, um, throw a lampshade on your head and just go out and have fun. That was Antioch. So the, the Christians, Stephen's killed. The Christians run from that because they're being persecuted, and they wind up at this, this city, Antioch, and Antioch just accepts them because they loved everybody. It, it, seriously, it was the, the Woodstock of the time. It's this beautiful place of free love where they're all coming in, hugging everybody. The Christians are coming in, and they start talking about Jesus, and people's lives get wrecked and it becomes the focal point. Paul uses it later on, and you'll see this later on as we go through Acts, and just through some more of his letters. This becomes like the central place where Paul sends out most of his mission journeys. Antioch becomes a powerhouse. It goes from being this, this town, this city, known for sex, for pornography, for everything other than Jesus, to being a place that promotes not only who God is, but check this, to being a place that Paul gathers together and that's where he sends missionary journeys from. And again, I don't know if you, if you, you caught this in this, when this started to happen, Barnabas goes out and joins them. Re- remember, were any of you here when we did Experiencing God as a church? Anybody remember that? One of the, if you haven't done Experiencing God, I wanna challenge you, that's a great Bible study to go through. Um, One one of the best, I I think, personally, one of the main points that it talks about is when you see a movement of God, follow it. Whatever it is you're doing, if you see God moving and you see God doing something, stop what you're doing, chase after that. Be around movements of God. This was that moment. Antioch blows up for Jesus. People's lives are getting changed. It's it's going crazy. There's churches starting to form. Barnabas goes to to be a part of it. Um, And and this is nuts. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You, You understand that Antioch went from being the epicenter of sin and the epicenter of filth to being the place where we have our first church and where we get labeled as Christians, Christ followers, Christ-like, people who love Jesus. We, we get that description placed in Antioch. One of the worst things that we can do, and it's, it's subtle in here, so I, I, wanna, I wanna point it out. One of the worst things that we can do is tell our friends who Jesus is and then leave. One of the most important things that we can do is when we tell our friends who Jesus is, is to stay with them and to help them, to pray with them, to teach them how to take this this book and make it become alive, to, to teach them what it means to pray, to teach them what it means to hear God's voice, to teach them what this book is teaching us. Part of the reason we don't do that is because we don't spend enough time in this book for it to teach us, so we don't feel qualified to help our friends. But did you see what Paul and Barnabas did? Barnabas sees what's going on and he's like, goes to Tarsus. He's like, Paul, you got to help me. He brings Paul back, and they both spend the next year teaching these guys who Jesus is, teaching them, making disciples of them. Um, and, and people say this all the time. The Great Commission was, wasn't a suggestion. It, the Great Commission was a calling for us to go out. And you remember Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20? to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all things I've commanded you. And don't sweat, because I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. If you go back to that passage and you you work it through where it says to go out, it doesn't mean for us to leave and go and like to go on a mission trip. It doesn't mean that we should stop and and to leave and to go out. It, It basically means as you go, as you go about your day, as you go to work, tell people about Jesus. As you go and get gas, tell people about Jesus. As you go to the babysitters, tell people about Jesus. As you go to the Super Bowl, watch the Seahawks win, tell people about Jesus. As you go home and and have a Super Bowl party, tell people about Jesus. As you go, tell people who Jesus is. Let me me ask you this, and and again, this isn't isn't a, a, a responsive question, hopefully at least not out loud. Have you helped somebody in the last few months know who Jesus is? And don't worry, this isn't where I'm gonna slap you with like some Jesus juke and make you feel horrible. If yes is the answer to that question, how are you helping them know who Jesus is? How are you guiding them to be a disciple and showing them what it means to know God? Are you calling them, checking on them? Are you texting them, checking on them? Are you seeing them, talking to them, checking on them? One of the worst things we can do is lead somebody to Christ and then just walk away. Tell people who Jesus is and then help them with this journey, help them to understand what it means. I'm so glad that in my life, somebody didn't just introduce me to Christ and then was like, peace, and walk away. I'm so glad in my life when, when, when my dad told me who Jesus was that, that he started showing me daily what that meant, how to read my Bible, how to find stuff in my Bible. How, it's amazing working with students, these guys who have grown up in church forever and they have no idea how to use the concordance in the back of their Bible. Half of them call it the dictionary. I'm like, no, not the dictionary. That's not what that is. That's where you go to find stuff in the Bible. When you don't know where it's at, that's a great place to look. Get off Googles, go back here and, and look. Teaching them for a year they spent there. Let, let me do this. Go back to that spot just a second, where you were just a second ago, where you were thinking about that one person. One person in your, your, your system of influence that needs to know Jesus. That one person that, that needs to hear about God's grace, God's love. Um, let, let me give you the, the same thing that Peter said. Well, you Get there, get a mental, mental image of them real quick. Um, who am I to think that I could oppose God? Let, let those words ring true as that face kind of gets impers- impressed into your brain. What's gonna keep you from telling them about Jesus. Maybe God put them in your realm of influence so that you could point them to Jesus. And you realize that that's all our job is, is to point. Eugene um, Peterson, which if any of you read the message at all, like the the translation of the Bible, a message, it's, I love it. Um, it. It's really conversational. It's super easy to read. Um, the guy who translated that, he has this devotional where he talks about time bombs. I don't know if I've ever shared this in this room or not. Um, he says that the Holy Spirit is, is a time bomb dropper. <laughs> um, what, what, what he means by that is, is the Holy Spirit, when we do stuff like this, you drop kind of a time bomb into somebody's life. And the Holy Spirit then decides when to detonate that dude. The Holy Spirit decides when to blow that up. And and what we do, our job is just to to deposit time bombs. Our job is just to go out to our friends and deposit a bomb that the Holy Spirit is then going to explode and blow up and come alive in who they are. Think for just a second with Jesus how he taught in the parables. When Jesus would teach, he, he was talking to shepherds. What did he talk about? Sheep. When he's talking to vine dressers, talked about grapes. Whoever he was talking to, he used illustrations wrapped around that and he dropped these beautiful little bombs inside of these guys that the Holy Spirit then blew up and lives were drastically changed. My challenge to us is to do what, really to do what Peter did, to hear God's voice but not just hear it, to listen and to deposit some time bombs and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, which is blow up in people's lives and change. Because our job isn't to change people, it's just to point them to the person who changes people. Let's read the end of this real quick, verse 25. I'm sorry, he did that, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agbas, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for his brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Paul, uh, or by Barnabas and Saul. This beautiful thing happens and will be done when we begin to not hear but listen to God's word. Um, It's it's kind of the the it's the mantra really of our church. This worship, grow, serve mantra that we have as a church. When we begin to, to not just hear but listen, it's a form of worship. And as we begin to worship, it becomes a form of growth. And as we begin to grow, the next natural desire for us is to serve. And as we begin to serve, it becomes a form of worship. And as we begin to worship, we begin to grow. And as we grow, we can't help but worship, um, serve. And it makes this beautiful cylinder that spins and makes the world a beautiful place. If we stop any of those three, it throws everything in a weird funk. If we stop serving, it makes worship really difficult. And if we stop worshiping, it makes growth really, really hard. And if we stop growing, we really don't have a desire usually to serve, at least to serve, to point people to Jesus. That's what this book is describing, this chapter is describing right here in the end of this, in these, these last three verses. The disciples according to their ability decided to brought, provide help, verse 29 and 30, for their brothers living in Judea. They did this by sending gifts to the elders um, because a famine was coming in. These guys saw because of, they're in a spirit of worship, it caused them to grow and as they grew they saw a need and then when they saw the need they started serving and it became a form of worship that circled back around. My prayer for us is this, is not that we leave this place convicted. Um, Honestly, that is a little bit of my prayer, is that we, because I'm included in this, leave this place with a little bit of conviction that there's people that need to hear about Jesus that we're not telling. And it may be because they look different than us, they act different than us, um, and they still need to hear about Jesus. My, my, My big prayer for us tonight is as we worship together as a family, we begin to grow, and as we grow as a family, we begin to serve, and as we serve as a family, as a family, we begin to worship. And Chandler, Gilbert, Ahwatukee, Maricopa, whatever else you wanna call in this part of Arizona, becomes like Antioch. And it becomes a place where missionaries are coming and basing their, their mission journeys from. This becomes the hub of where Jesus is doing crazy, crazy things. And people are calling from Texas going, dude, what in the world is happening in Phoenix? What are you guys doing? And people are coming to see what God is doing here. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for, um, thanks for loving us. Um, God, thanks for being patient with us. Jesus, thank you for for loving people who are unlovable and God for for making this place to be a, a hospital for the sick and not a, just a resting place for the healthy um, God would you help us tonight to walk out of this place and not just be hearers but to be listeners to put this stuff in motion God to walk out of this place and do the things that we we just read about God would you rise up people in this room to be like like Peter that they would hear something even though it, it, it just sounds weird to us but we would hear it and then we would go out and actually put it into action God, would you help us to be like, like Saul and like Barnabas that we would, we would walk alongside people that are, are fresh, that just still understanding who you are. And we would, God, we would teach them what you're teaching us. And we would show them how to read their Bible. God, we would pray with them. We would spend time with them and help them understand more of you. And God, through all of this, would you do something powerful through this place that changes this city? And God, ultimately, makes you famous. So God, do these things in our lives. And God, we've read about it. We've seen it in in revivals of past. But God, would you help us to see it in our day so that our kids, God, allow us to leave this beautiful heritage of worshiping you to our families. In the powerful, holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen.